Welcome back to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Gil, it is a pleasure to have you back on the show. I think I've sung your praises more times than I can count, my friend, about your breakdown of the Dallas Police Department during the Kennedy assassination. I mean, I think we've probably talked about how you got even interested in looking at the Dallas police. I know the background about that. But if you were going to pitch trying to understand or at least give people a breakdown of things you can't explain in the assassination because there is so much, how would you look at the Dallas police? I mean, they... It, the way you've described things to me has really been able to clear up a lot of things that are just like, man, is everybody in on it? But it just seems like a lot of this can be just corruption. It can be easily explained away. Yeah. And they, and the evidence indicates that many of the officers were corrupt. Uh, the chief lied. He said there was like four, four officers who actually knew Jack Ruby uh, socially. Uh, four officers out of 1,200. But we know that's not true. Uh, we know he was full of baloney when he said that, but the cops were were corrupt in as in as much as the evidence shows that they took gratuity from businesses, uh, they took free drinks from Jack Ruby. Ruby supplied them with women, booze, gambling, uh, and so. And to show you how corrupt they were, uh, uh, Nancy Perrin Rich was uh, like a, a manager of the, she, she ran the bar for a, for a while. She made the drinks and stuff like that, like a bartender slash manager. Uh, he assaulted her one time and she went to the Dallas police to file charges against him. She wanted to, they, they refused to take a report. Can you imagine that? Because she planned to sue him civilly in court for the assault. And, but in order to do that, she had to have a police report to show that the incident even occurred. See, so soon when she took him to court, she could have proof that it actually happened. There's a police report on it and everything else. The cops wouldn't take the report. They told her, forget it. She said, well, then she got all pissed off. And she said, well, then I'll just go file in uh, a report with the uh, district attorney's office. You ain't going to take it. Then I'll go to the DA. And they said, no, you shouldn't do that. That's not a good idea. And so they talked her out of that. But so nothing ever happened to that. But that's just to show you the kind of corruption that the police were involved in. Now, you walk into a police station and say you've been assaulted, they're going to start asking questions, right? They're not going to tell you don't file a complaint or we're not going to take a complaint or anything like that. But that just shows you the level of the level of uh, corruption there was in the Dallas police. And uh, they were connected, according to uh, one testimony, I think it was in the House Select Committee Assassinations, well, they were connected to the CIA. Dallas cops uh, were in very tight with the CIA. And uh, uh, I think it was uh, William Walter's testimony uh, with the uh, House Select Committee. Let me let me call that up. House Select Committee assassinations testimony of James Wilcott. This is what he says. There was no doubt that the CIA was, quote, in thick as thieves, end quote, with the Dallas police. Several different individuals or firms in Dallas had been involved in one way or another with acting as cutouts for arms shipment to the Cuban exiles for the invasion. So here you have the Dallas police are in with the CIA. So they turn it, they, they turn a blind eye to all of this gun running and stuff that's being done in Dallas with the backing of certain firms, it says here, and in different individuals in Dallas that were involved in this gun running. Now, I think this is the key to me. I think this is where they got the weapons from. Because according to the uh, DEA agent, Frank Ellsworth, they were running guns out of, uh, they were stealing guns, actually, uh, with the help of uh, a guy at, at uh, Fort Hood in Texas, who was 
allowing them to take the guns. And I think this is where the weapons came for the assassination. They were spreading these weapons out to these Cuban groups to kill Kennedy. They were, they, and these groups were around the country. They weren't just in Dallas. But Dallas was the perfect place to kill the president. This was what the president himself called the morning of the assassination nut country. This, this was the perfect place to do it because you had the cops in your pocket. You had the FBI in your pocket. You had the, uh, when I say FBI, I mean the Dal Dallas FBI office in your pocket. You had the Dallas Secret Service in your pocket. And they were the ones that were responsible for putting together the president's security, the Dallas uh, Secret Service. Now, when the Dallas cops were asked how come president was wide open like this, the, the cops are like, oh, that's the Secret Service. That's not us. You know, we're only here to, to do what they tell us. So the cops are trying to wash their hands of the whole uh, uh, the whole security thing. But they, they were just as guilty as the Secret Service. And the Secret Service, believe me, was involved in this assassination. They were involved in this. They knew it was going to happen in advance. When the when the shooting started, they slowed the car down to make sure that the killers had a, a a good shot at them, and the car didn't speed up. The limo did not speed up until after Kennedy's head had exploded. So they drove him into an ambush, just like the two days later, the Dallas cops walked Oswald into an ambush. Same thing, uh, same mo. They took away. Uh, usually, when you take a look at some of the other uh, motorcades, and I've got pictures of them, and I've got videos of them. Uh, there's a flatbed truck in front of the president's limo taking video from the front, okay? In this um, motorcade, there was no, they, they were put way in the back in, in convertibles and out of the uh, line of fire, they took the general out of the front seat of the limousine where he usually rode in the front seat between the two agents. They took him out of the car. This was all done at, at Love Field. All of these last minute changes were made at Love Field and the military people were pissed off because they're like, Hey, I'm supposed to be in the limo. And the, and the president's uh, physician, Dr. Berkeley, he says, I'm supposed to be in the car behind them in case anything happens. Yeah, there's three cars these back. Guys are put, yeah, they're put way back there where they can't, where they're out of the line of fire. They didn't realize it, but they, what they were doing was they were getting them out of the line of fire. That's why they moved the motorcycle cops back. They lowered their numbers. There were supposed to be four in a single file on each side of the car. That's the way the cops, Dallas police lined it up. And the Secret Service said, no, two on each side and move them to the back of the car. And they were told that no, no matter what happens, you are not to, uh, you are to hold your position no matter what happens. This was all done at Love Field before. So they knew which direction the shots would be coming from because they got them out of the line of fire. The fact that they moved them shows that they knew where the killers were located and where those shots were going to come. And I'll tell you something else, too, that this is what I've been working on recently, and I'm going to, I'm going to. The video I've got part one up on the education forum. I'm going to be putting part two up probably you still in the next post week. there. Yeah, but that that fatal headshot, <laughs> the fatal headshot came from the front. That was not Oswald. That fatal headshot came from the front, and there's overwhelming evidence of that. Um, and when you take a look at the autopsy report and the back of the head photograph, autopsy photograph, they, they're completely opposite. It doesn't it doesn't match. And that's the reason why this case is phony, because the evidence doesn't match each other. If it was legitimate, if this was an authentic case, all the evidence should add up. OK, but we've got nothing but questions. Everything doesn't add up. Why don't the bullets removed from Tippett match the shells found at the scene? You know, they don't match. Why? 
why does uh, the, the autopsy photograph, the autopsy report say that there was a, a five inch hole in the back of the president's head that extended down to the occipital region, which is way down here in the bottom of the head. And there was no scalp there, no scalp or bone. It was a hole with nothing covering it. But the back of the head photograph shows the scalp intact. Why is that? You know, all of these things that don't add up, if this was a, a, an authentic uh, case, all of these things would add up. There wouldn't be any questions. We wouldn't be talking about this case today. But there's nothing but questions. And Well, it's the more you find yourself explaining things away when you're on like the lone nut side is when you really have to challenge what you are actually looking for. Are you looking for truth or are you looking for disarming the other side? You yeah, know, excuses. You can only yeah. explain so much away. There's way too much in the uh, Kennedy assassination, which I would say is a reasonable thing to question because there is so many faults to it. Now, I'm not 100% there. Maybe you can get me there about the Secret Service 100% being part of it. I definitely think they were part of the cover-up. I think they were part of really its complicity, um, things that should have been done that I can't explain. Uh, why did they wash out the limo? Why did they send it to a repair company? Why did they su not submit any of those bullets and brain matter that were put in a bucket? Where is that evidence at? You know, why were they out drinking the night before? Was that plausible deniability? Basically, if you're hungover, you really can't answer questions properly when you're asked, why didn't you jump on top of the president, you know, when shots are being run out? Why was Clint Hill the only one that did that? You know, so there's a lot of things that I can't explain besides I just don't think they were all like, oh, we're going to watch the president get killed. Maybe you can get me there. But I definitely think, you know, there was a large lack of protection on JFK. And if you look at the official when they at Love Field, when they were designating, I think a couple of days before of what was going to happen, how the motorcade vehicles were going to ride. Now, some police officers were like, we usually ride on the side of the car in this type of situation. But I forgot what Secret Service, what his name was, but he made a statement and it's in the official report when they were talking about this. He said that Kennedy didn't like the sound of the motorcycles. They were too loud. So he wanted them pushed back farther to the rear back rear wheels of the vehicle, which is completely out of order of how they normally do it but they blamed it on kennedy and said it was kennedy's decision to do so and like well the man can't justify his actions when he's dead he can't talk about any of this stuff so you're basically just putting all the blame on someone well, that's what he wanted that's what he wanted so we don't question it well that's an excuse and let me tell you why it's an excuse because the president doesn't set up security the secret service does the president takes orders from the secret service believe that or not the president, they tell him where to go. They tell him what door to go in. They tell him where, where, how he's going to go here, how he's going to go there, because they've checked this all out in advance. See, they know that these areas are safe because they've already checked it out. And that's what an advance agent is supposed to do. He's supposed to go to the place where he's going to give the speech, check it out. Let's see, can a sniper be up there in the, in the rafters? Well, these are the things that they do. This is all advanced work that they do before the president goes anywhere. The president doesn't tell them where he's going. He doesn't tell them where to put the motorcycles. That's bullshit. He doesn't tell them to put, they can't ride on the back of his limousine. That's not, that, he doesn't do that. He goes with, he's, they're probably the only ones he takes orders from. But when it comes to security, it's their baby. And he told a few people, uh, because he had been warned, don't go to Dallas, it's too dangerous. Now, you ask any lone nutter, why, why would all of these people warned the president not to go to Dallas. How did they know in advance that Lee Harvey Oswald was going to kill him when Oswald himself didn't know until the day before when he went to get his rifle, right? So the whole Oswald story is bullshit because he didn't go 
to uh, Irving the night before to get his rifle. That's a lie. He went there because he had a fight with his wife over the phone. And she wouldn't talk to him over the phone. She hung up on him. And he couldn't get her on the phone. So he went there in person. And he went there on a Thursday. And the idea of going there on a Thursday was because if he had gone there on a Friday, he didn't have a ride back to Dallas the next day. He would have had to hitchhike or something else. But if he went there on a Thursday and she turned him down or whatever, he could go back to Dallas on Friday to work with Wesley Frazier. So he had to ride back to the city. But the point was that the, when you look at the testimony of Ruth Payne and Marina Oswald, that's the reason why he went to Dallas, because he had had a fight with his wife on the phone. And that's what they knew. They knew that when he showed up. Oh, here he comes. He's going to try to make up now. He never went there for no rifle. That's ridiculous. He was even talking to his wife about getting her an apartment, getting her out of Ruth Payne's house and getting her in an apartment with the kids in Dallas. Come and live with me. We'll get her an apartment in Dallas, he told her. That, that's not a guy who let, what, 12 hours, 14 hours later is going to kill the president of the United States? Come on. That's bullshit. So, uh, but Dallas, um, I know I got off on a, I get off on a subject now. We're you're talking protect, about you're protecting that. Oswald. I get it. <laughs> well, no. I'm, I'm surprised not... you can find out who he is because I'm still fucking clueless on who this guy is. Well, no, I'm not, I'm not so much protecting him. I'm just telling you what the testimony says. See, with the testimony, the Warren Commission ignored that. They came up with their own idea that he went there to get this rifle. There's no there's no evidence that the rifle was there be, before November 22nd. They had to fudge details to try and make the narrative fit. Oh, well, they had to because this is what they, but this is what the Dallas cops did. The Dallas cops, they arrested the guy. He was guilty. And then they make the evidence fit the, fit the crime. And 19 times they did that. Now, people will argue with me and say, well, you, you mean to tell me that they would let a killer of one of their own police officers go free? Yeah, that's what they did. They did it 19 times before that, 19 convictions that Henry Wade um, got convictions of. It wasn't just somebody who was charged like Oswald. These were actual convictions. He went before either a judge or a jury and convinced them that the guy was guilty. 19 times were overturned on DNA evidence. 19 of those were overturned. And some of these were rapes. Some of these were murders. There was a murder uh, where he withheld evidence from the defense. He knew that the tire tracks at the murder scene did not match the tires of the guy, of the car, of the guy he arrested, that they arrested. He knew that. The tire tracks didn't match, which means that, that guy wasn't at the scene. And he withheld that. He withheld that from the, from the defense. And what would stop people from believing that? Because we know that there's... Plenty of corrupt people in law enforcement. It's not saying all of them, but there's plenty of people that are put in a position where like you went to school with that guy. You're like, holy shit, that guy became a cop. Like that's the fear you get because you know how they were. And that's like Henry Wade. I mean, I don't think I changed my perspective on Jesse Curry. I thought I think he's not as bad as a guy as I thought before. I think there was a couple things he was seemed like he was trying to get the fame about. Like he was on Air Force One when Johnson was sworn. And a lot of people don't know that his ass is lurking in the back. But then he wrote a book about the assassin. Fascination and he was speaking out and J. Edgar Hoover blackballed his whole career and basically got him to the point where he had to force him into retirement. And like, you know, his life was never the same. Hoover basically wrecked him for just by speaking out against the official story. It might not be what was true, but it was what he believed that Oswald wasn't the lone assassin. And finally, he finally admitted that one shot came from the front. That's what he said. He finally admitted that at least one shot came from the front. After all of that. But he was a Johnson man. 
he, there's no doubt he was a Johnson man. He's the one who drove, drove Johnson from the uh, hospital to the Love Field, the Air Force One. He was the one who drove him. Do you think you know, this, could all, this could all be orchestrated by Johnson? Some people believe so. I know. Some people, because he went, he actually went there before Kennedy did. I think he went there on a Tuesday the week before. But it was Johnson's Secret Service guys who made all the last-minute changes to the, to the motorcade, according to the, uh, the Dallas cops. You know, as far as where the, the uh, motorcycles were going to ride and all that stuff, uh, it was Johnson's guys. And I would, my guess is Rufus Youngblood, who was uh, part of Johnson's, the head of Johnson's Secret Service detail, was the one that uh, told them um, that, no, you're going to go here and you're going to go there and you're going to sit in this car and you're going to go in that car. He made all these last minute changes. So that tells me that at least somebody in the Secret Service knew in advance where the shooters were going to be located, what direction they were going to be fired, uh, firing from. And they did everything they could to get the military people and the police out of the line of fire. Now, that's all circumstantial, but uh, it makes you wonder. What, was it Youngblood or Yarborough that talked about when they were riding past the knoll, he smelled smoke? Yarborough. So Senator Yarborough. Yeah. Smoke doesn't go down. It goes up, especially if you're firing from a sixth floor window. So that just makes it weird that, you know, that's against the official narrative. But Yarborough is the reason why Kennedy or Connolly and uh, Connolly was riding with Kennedy, right? Because Yarborough wanted to switch. Because he didn't want to sit next to Johnson because he was having a fight with Johnson about something or they were bickering about something. And yeah, Johnson story, was trying to get Connolly to sit in his the vehicle. Sto the, the story was that Yarborough uh, didn't want to ride with Johnson. Johnson, uh, Johnson went to Kennedy's suite on the morning of the 22nd when they were in uh, Fort Worth and got in a big argument with Kennedy. And the whole thing was, you know, the the... The Johnson did it crowd wants you to think that Johnson was arguing with Kennedy because he was trying to get Connolly out of Kennedy's car. But the truth of the matter is that Yarborough didn't want to ride with Johnson. So now I don't know whether, what, what, how that all worked out with Connolly and Nellie Connolly. I don't know if that was even discussed, but I know that Yarborough didn't want to ride with Johnson because Yarborough was a liberal, Johnson was conservative. Connolly was conservative. Kennedy was considered a liberal. Kennedy wanted it all mixed, so it looked like they were unified. Okay? So the governor rides with me, and Yarborough rides with Johnson. So now you got the two, the head of the state and the head of the country riding in one car, and the and uh, the senator and the vice president riding in the other car. Yarborough didn't want to ride with Johnson. So Kennedy told Johnson, you tell Yarborough, either he rides in your car or he walks. And that was that was the final thing. And so that was it. Yarborough rode in the car with Johnson. I'm glad you said the Johnson did it crowd, because right now, like I said, I I had a couple episodes where I talked to people about the Johnson thing. I told him I didn't think it was just I definitely think it's part of the cover up. Just don't think he orchestrated the whole grandmaster plot. I mean, if you're digging the deep state Texas issue, then I could see it. 
But like every, they always point to the Clint Murchison party. And I'm like, look, I'm not saying it didn't happen, but I'm telling you, I need more than one person telling me that, that there was this party that happened and this specific thing was said. The issue with conspiracies and where they kind of go into their own little independent, this is what happens, is it's too good. You know what I mean? It's so good. Like, oh, Johnson said at a party and it's by this witness that he said, I'm going to kill that son of a bitch or the, the Kennedys will never bother me again. That's exactly what would work to fit the the theory, everything. So, like I said, not tossing it out of the thing. I'm just saying I need more evidence to support that. Now, if we get into always the look, always, always look for corroboration, no matter what it is. Anything, anything you hear that's just one person, that's an allegation. Anything that proves it, or if you hear it more than from one source, that's a corroboration. That's what you want to look for, corroboration. And when you hit them hit the low nutters with the uh, corroboration, they still don't believe it. I mean, you can have 50 witnesses saying the same thing. I have 40, over 40 witnesses who saw the blowout in the back of the president's head, and they still don't believe it. Because Why? Because the Warren Commission didn't say it, and the House Select Committee said they didn't say it. But there's over 40 witnesses who saw the back of the president's head and said it was blown out. It was a five-inch hole. That's, a, that's, a, that's not an egg entrance wound. That's an exit wound. Okay. But anyways, okay. So let me give you a little let me give you a little history of some of the stuff I've read on Johnson because this is interesting. Johnson uh, never uh, wanted to be vice president in 1960. He kept saying time and time again publicly, "I won't accept the number two spot and all this stuff." Right? Well, old man Joe Kennedy owed Johnson a favor because Joe Kennedy had asked Johnson to put Jack Kennedy when he was a senator on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. So Johnson did that as a favor to the old man. So the old man owed, jo owed Johnson a favor. So when it came time to pick a vice president, the old man told Jack Kennedy, ask Johnson first, because he figured at least this will pay the debt off. You know what I mean? Johnson's not going to take it anyways. There's no harm in asking him because he keeps saying he's not going to take it anyway. So this will get me out of Johnson's debt. And Johnson's not going to take it anyway. So the son says, well, Johnson's been saying all along he's not going to take it. So I'll offer it to him. So he offers it to him. What he didn't know was that Johnson had seen his medical records and his doctors, Kennedy's doctors, had, set, had determined because of his Addison's disease and the other problems that he had it, medically, that he would not make it to the age of 45. He would die in his first term of natural causes. So Johnson, when he found this out, he's like, whoa, I can jump on this bandwagon and become president of the United States in two years. Right? So he, he surprises everybody. Everybody's shocked. They come in, they offer it to him. He says, yeah, okay, I'll take it. Now they don't know what to say. So now Bobby Kennedy gets involved and there's some exchange there. But Bobby Kennedy's ranting and raving. And uh, of course, you know, Texas is, uh, is the political powerhouse at that time in 1960 because they got Johnson's the Senate majority leader. Sam Rayburn is the Speaker of the House. He's from Texas. Dwight Eisenhower was the president of the United States at the time. He was born in Texas. So, I mean, they, Texas is pretty well represented in the, in the U.S. government. They're pretty, pretty powerful people. And uh, so anyways, Johnson takes the number two spot. Now Kennedy's stuck with him because Johnson's corrupt. He's part of that whole, if you will, deep state that existed before the 1960 election. He's part of that power structure in Washington. And so this is the mistake that Kennedy makes. He takes somebody that's part of the establishment, political establishment, as a running mate. 
So when it comes time to whether or not to get rid of him, hey, we got Johnson in the wings. It doesn't mean Johnson planned it, but you know it's his home state. It's his buddies down there that are that are lining everything up and are making all of these arrangements. Very easy for them to say, hey, it's time for us to get our guy in the White House. And so Johnson gets on the ticket and Kennedy doesn't die. That's the problem. The problem is come May 1962, Kennedy doesn't die. So what do they do? They throw this elaborate party for him at Madison Square Garden, highlighted by Marilyn Monroe singing happy birthday to you, right? Because he made it. He proved the doctors wrong. And, and that's good for Wait, him. Marilyn Monroe really did that? Yeah, she's saying happy birthday to the president. You really sultry too. I mean, it was really happy birthday to you. Oh, oh you gotta see it. It's God. online. It's online. You gotta see it. Real sexy. Then he gets up there, embarrassed as hell, right? He gets up there and he says, uh, never have I ever had happy birthday sung to me in such a sweet and wholesome way. And everybody just busts up laughing. And uh, but she does it real sexy. And uh, so uh it's good for Kennedy that he makes it to 45, but that's not good for Johnson because Johnson thought he'd be president by now. And so all of this is just, it's just a kind of a sidebar. I just, I think it's interesting. It is interesting. And, uh, I think it's interesting because the Johnson did it people, I don't know if they know that or not, but uh, it's just a kind of a footnote to all of this uh, stuff. That Johnson wanted to be president. That was his whole thing. And uh, when he finally became president, it destroyed him, destroyed his political career. He couldn't even run for a second term because of the Vietnam War, because he did what they wanted him, what the CIA wanted him to do, and which was the, the, the Vietnam War, which was the CIA's war. So uh, Kennedy wasn't going to do that. And I don't care what anybody says. Kennedy, the evidence to me shows that Kennedy was not going to get us involved in Vietnam. Uh, that was not That was not the plan to introduce ground troops in Vietnam. The only time I've ever really defended Johnson was I only stick behind him on one thing. I don't support any of the decisions. I don't support him as a presidential person at all. But I think he was the only person that could have relieved Hoover of power if he did not make him uh, a you know director for life. He was the only person, I believe, that had the political kind of corruption to be able to match Ed J. Edgar Hoover's political corruption to really take him out as FBI director. He really could have retired Hoover and that would have been the end of that. But I think his statement is, I'd rather have Hoover on the inside of my tent pissing out than the outside pissing in, which is like, damn, they created that death, that deadly friendship that basically screwed everybody else over. But that's the only thing I've ever defended him on. I mean, do you notice that your perspective starts to shift more? I mean, how long have you been researching this compared to what were your thoughts in the beginning compared to where you're at now? I'm sure you've gone, Johnson did it to military industrial complex, to Dallas police. To, I've seemed to like kind of teeter back and forth to just try and figure out what's fact and what's fiction. I, I, ran, I ran the whole gamut myself over the years at the, at the beginning. In the beginning, it, was, it wasn't only until about maybe, oh, I'd say probably 17 or 18 years ago that I actually said, you know what, I'm going to stop trying to solve this thing. And I'm going to, I'm just going to look at the case against Oswald and concentrate on that. And the Warren Commission's case against Oswald. While everybody's at step 25 trying to prove what it is, I'm going to start at step one and prove who didn't do it. You know what I mean? I can't tell you who did do it because there's just so many theories and all of them have some that. Uh, validation to some point. Uh, the only one I don't believe was, I, I find that real hard to believe is the mafia. That's the only one I really find hard to, because I don't, I can't connect Oswald with the mafia. 
the thing that's, they, that's the... they point out his connections from his mom sleeping with like certain mafia figures, but I don't believe it either. I just yeah, like learning uncle, about his, those guys. His uncle was a bookie. I mean, I used to know a kid when I was a little kid. I used to know a kid whose uncle was a bookie. That doesn't mean the kid was involved with the mafia. Jimmy Two Fingers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was him. Jimmy Two Fingers. Johnny and a Johnny and a drum. That's what they called uh uh what's his name? Uh Oh, yeah, uh, the, the gangster there, Johnny Roselli, when they chopped him up into pieces and put him in a drum and threw him in the ocean, they called him yeah, Johnny. If you, if you Google his name, if you Google Johnny Roselli's uh, death, it says that he died by asphyxiation. I'm like, I'm pretty sure he died by having his arms and legs chopped off. But the Google's like, nah, we're just going to say asphyxiation because of the barrel and all that. Which I like learning about that stuff. I don't think the mob did it, but I like learning about that because you really get to meet people in political power or have political connections that are seriously corrupt and very powerful figures as a whole, which I don't think in my, our generation, we don't have figures like that, that just roam around the streets. You know, we have certain people in political power, but. My, the, the, the mob wasn't, uh, wasn't known for using rifles at long range to kill people. They, they their thing was uh handguns close up and boom, boom, boom. And that's it. They, Plus you you're know. trying to go off of the Judith Exeter connection. Uh, if you try to believe the mob thing and the Frank Sinatra stuff, which at, at the most is very, very skim. But with an event like this, it's been picked over so many times. You're going to have a lot of a little bit of weight to a lot of theories. Yeah. And, and, and like you said, there's plenty of them. There's, you know, the George Hickey theory that George Hickey accidentally shot him, uh, from the accidentally. car behind, he accidentally shot him from behind, uh, from the car behind them. Oh, the secret service yeah. guy. Yeah, George Hickey. He had an AR-15 in his hand, and he cl they claimed that it went off by mistake and hit him in the back of the head. But I feel like I just told you, the shot from the head came from the front. It wasn't George Hickey. Yeah. From, you know, but anyways. Um, but where do you think the shot came from, from the front? And then what do you, where's your evidence for a front shot? Are you pointing at the windshield? Uh, the windshield is part of it. Uh because there were just too many witnesses who saw that hole in the windshield. And they said it was a through and through hole. Well, one doctor, I forgot I think her name's Ava something, talked about seeing that you could put a pencil through it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and uh, it was a Dallas cop. There were a couple of reporters. Um, there were some other people. There, was, there were several people who some of them later on changed their minds. Now, whether they were pressured to or not, I don't know. Changed their minds and said, "Oh no, we didn't see we didn't see any hole." You see, you have to understand that a lot of people were scared shit because uh, they were printing these lists of people who were disappearing and people who were dying mysteriously and stuff. And whether or not it was true, people were under the impression that there was a nefarious force out there killing witnesses to keep them quiet. Jim so Cothy. I, I, I got a video flagged off YouTube I can't post for a week because I mentioned I had Larry Hancock, one of the most detailed researchers you will ever find, talk about Jim Cothy, and they flagged it saying it's a harmful conspiracy. I go, Google his name. It says he died by a throat chop. I'm not even making that up. I couldn't make that up. That's too creative for me. Yeah. And it, whether whether or not it was true or not, these people people thought it was, and that that scared the shit out of them. They were afraid to come forward and tell what they really knew. So they either changed their minds and said, "Oh no, 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 that's you know, that, I, that's not what I said," or I, "I don't believe that," or whatever. They changed their minds, or they kept their mouths shut. They never came forward, and they had vital information in this case. It's a terrible thing to happen, but 
it was all started by, I, I hate to say this, but it was all started by Penn Jones. Penn Jones was one of the great uh, conspiracy researchers in this case. And he was one of the early researchers, but he never should have ever brought about this, uh, this thing about uh, the uh, strange deaths and stuff, because I think it did more harm than it did good to bring people forward. You know what I mean? It worked in the reverse. It was, I, I just, I can't understand why, why somebody would do that, but uh, that's what it did. And people were afraid to come forward. I think Garrison's at fault for doing that too. Um, there's a few moments Garrison jumped the gun on something he probably shouldn't have, like the persecution of Clay Shaw and trying to really, he, he, you get stuck in these little rabbit holes. And I think that's kind of intended on purpose when you get so invested in something. That's why it's important to take a step back. But also this thing has been littered with document releases that have been seeping out over years where things you couldn't think of even being possible were being employed by the CIA and the FBI that were meant to distract you. I mean, this is the whole counterintelligence program that that was going on. Yeah. And, and you know, one thing good about the garrison, uh, uh, investigation was that it it revealed some things that we didn't know about. For instance, uh, it it revealed that some of the reports and, and that the FBI reports uh, were not accurate in what they said. The witnesses said they claimed the witnesses said something, and the witnesses went when Garrison showed them the reports. They said, "I never said that." You know, again, if this is a if this is an authentic criminal investigation, why is it that? These reports are not accurate in what the witness said. Why are they changing what the witness said? Why are they saying the witness said he, he heard shots from the, the Texas School Book Depository when he said that he saw the smoke coming from behind the fence? What, 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 why, are these, why are these reports all uh, not accurate with what the witness said? Why are the witnesses denying what they're saying here? Uh, the FBI lied about a lot of things. Uh, and the way they handled this case, it was just terrible. And the reason why I believe that the, this case is fraudulent, it's fake, is because uh, several different things. Corruption in the Dallas, the Dallas whole prosecutory system was corrupt, like we were talking about before. It's all based on, um, on uh, conviction rates. And that's all they cared about, whether or not they convicted the person they arrested. Number two, the way they handled Oswald. The way the cops handle Oswald, you don't you don't do police lineups. The guy's crying for a lawyer, and you you're doing police lineups without a lawyer present. No, you don't do that. And then you put him in with people with with police uh, employees who don't even match what the witnesses said. The guy the guy's description. They're not he's not they're not even close. A blonde guy with a red vest. Come on, a dark skinned detective with a brown jacket. How many lineups were there? There were four. Four there altogether. Okay, I don't know those. Could you walk me through maybe um, some of the lineups? Uh, yeah, I only knew two, I think. The first two lineups were, uh, they, con they consisted of two police detectives and a police clerk and Oswald. There were four people in, the, in those first two lineups. The third lineup were two prisoners, but they were both blonde. Oswald and that same police clerk. Again, the little short, fat guy with a gray woolen sweater. And the last lineup was Oswald with two teenagers and a Mexican. So none of these people that Oswald was in the lineup with, none of these fillers came anywhere near what the witnesses had described as Tippett's killer. So that made Oswald the only choice they could have made. And even then they hesitated. 
Helen Markham said that she didn't know anybody in the lineup that she saw. She had never seen them before, including Oswald. Imagine that. She admits she had never seen Oswald before. She did not see him at the at the uh, site of the killing, but she picked them. Why? Because she said there were all kinds of police officers behind her, and they kept asking her, which one, which one, which one? They were pressure. She was under pressure to pick somebody, so she picked the Oswald. Who else was she going to pick? She's not going to pick the little short fat guy in the gray sweater. Where did they get the description for Oswald after the uh, Kennedy assassination, when he goes to the theater and everything, before that happens? How did they have a description of who this person was? Uh, they got the I, I think they got the description from Howard Brennan, old Eagle Eye. I call him Eagle Eye because he had eye problems. Uh, Howard Brennan. And uh, I think he's the one who gave them the description of six foot, 165, or 5'11", 165. And, uh, they originally announced that the guy they were looking for was carrying a thirty caliber rifle. Now, if, he, if somebody saw somebody come out of the building with a thirty caliber rifle, you would think that they'd be interested in that. But Oswald didn't have any thirty caliber rifle with him when he was arrested. Well, some witnesses claim that they saw a person up top wearing like black rim glasses and things on like yeah, that on the sixth guy, floor. One guy was wearing glasses. Uh, another witness said that uh, he was that she saw two. Two people. Uh, let me see. Let me get this uh, assassination witnesses on the screen. She said that she saw two people, and uh, one of them had a white shirt. The other one had a brown uh, suit. And so uh, they were describing people that couldn't be Oswald. Even even uh, Brendan himself said when he saw the Oswald in the lineup, he said he wasn't wearing the same clothes he was wearing in the building. So now the question is, if that's true, how did the fibers from the arrested shirt get on the rifle? But see, this is what these are the questions that get asked. Uh, and I think personally, I think just think they just took the they just took the shirt and wiped the wiped it on the rifle and got the fibers off the on the rifle. That's how the fibers got on the rifle. But anyways, yeah. Look, well. I want to ask, focusing more on Oswald's rights, when we talked, we talked about this before, and I think we've done clips on this, but the ACLU incident um, with the lawyer that came down to visit Oswald, you know, a lot of things get tossed out in the conspiracy thing that he was denied legal representation. He was technically, but he was also given it by an ACLU lawyer, but that lawyer tended to be a friend of Henry Wade. Or is it no. Fritz? Fritz. No, that lawyer, the lawyer, the lawyer that got to see Oswald was not the ACLU. He wasn't? No, he wasn't. His name was uh, H. Lewis Nichols, and he was a he wasn't even a criminal lawyer, believe it or not. He was a civil lawyer. Well, he was he, his, I don't know what his um, what his uh, specialty was, but he represented the um, I think the city credit union. He used to work for the city attorney's office. Yeah, he got a call from like Henry Wade or either that or Fritz to come down there and talk, see Oswald and check him uh, out. He called them. Yeah. See, he had gotten he had gotten call he had gotten a call from some uh, college professor, some law professor, some friend of his, and said, you know, Oswald keeps saying he needs legal assistance. They're not get, letting him have a lawyer. You should go down there and uh, find out what the hell the story is. So he's the president of the Dallas Bar Association. The Dallas Bar Association is two. There's two bar associations in Dallas. There's the Bar Association, and then there's the Criminal Bar Association. Well. 
he tried to get somebody from the criminal bar association to go with him, a criminal lawyer. Nobody wanted to go. Nobody wanted to touch it because they all hated Oswald. Nobody wanted to touch his case. They're all mad at him. So nobody wanted to go with him. So he went down there alone. But before he went, he called first. And he called Wade and Wade said, well, I'm not aware of him uh, asking for any lawyer. See, there were two stories that the cops were saying. Number one, that he wasn't asking for a lawyer. And number two, that he had been given the offer and turned it down. So when he got, because he called, first he called Wade, then he called Lieutenant Glenn King. And King told him, uh, no, I think he was given the offer, but he was, he turned it down. So he's getting two different stories. And I says to himself, I got to go down here. I got to go down here and find out what's going on because uh, I'm getting two different stories here. That's not adding up. So something's going on here. So he goes, so he gets up. He gets on the phone with his lawyer friend, with his professor friend, and he tells him he's going to go down there. He, he called them first. He tells him, he says, I called them, and they, they said he this. And, I, and the other guy said this. And he says, look, you mean to tell me that he's been in custody for 24 hours and he hasn't asked for a lawyer yet? Are you kidding me? You better go down there and straighten this out because you're getting two different stories, and it's been 24 hours, and this guy still don't have a lawyer. So he goes down there to get the story. and. He goes into, uh, I think it's Captain Fritz's office. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, Chief Curry's office. And Curry goes with him. When he goes and talks to Oswald, Curry goes with him. But he doesn't ask Oswald any questions about how he's being treated or anything. Now, a criminal lawyer would ask him these questions. A criminal lawyer would ask him, how are you being treated? Are you being denied food? Are you being denied uh, your family? Uh, so Oswald starts telling him, I'm being held incognito. They won't let me have a lawyer, blah, blah, blah. And so he doesn't want to hear that. He cuts him off. I don't want to hear that. All I want to know is whether or not you want a lawyer. If you want a lawyer, maybe I can get you one. Maybe I can find you. And he says, I, I want, he tells him, I want uh, John App from New York or somebody from the ACLU. Well, he comes out after so he turns around and says, that's who I want. And, you know, if, and he says, well, if I can get you an, a, some other lawyer. And he's like, I don't want, I don't want that. So he comes out and he tells the, the crowd, Oswald doesn't want a lawyer. That's not what Oswald said. He never mentions anything about Oswald saying something about the ACLU or the um, John App, the lawyer from New York. So. In the meanwhile, before that, the ACLU tried to see Oswald, and they were dissuaded by the police to see him. And now, later on, the guy, I think it was uh, his name was Gregory, Gregory Olds. He turned around and he said, I should have been more forceful in seeing, in seeing Oswald. He, he backed off. He didn't have the balls to, go, to, to challenge the cops and say, no, I want to see this guy. Do you think at this point they already had it planned in their mind? Because I do believe that they were going, they're the ones that got Jack Ruby to shoot Oswald. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, I think no if you look up anything with Jack Ruby and Dallas police connections, now this will lead into another question I'll ask you before we get into like the kind of main meat of this. But when Henry Wade or whoever, Jesse Curry, whoever states that there's no connection between Dallas police and Jack Ruby or there's no affiliations, that is someone that's trying to protect the credibility of their police department that is obviously incorrect in a statement that they had no connections one cop twisted his ankle ice skating with jack ruby on a date 
So cops, obviously, and even in the Warren Commission investigation, when they were looking at the associations, they have the listed number of people that said they knew Jack Ruby. They have the could not determine officially if there was some things given out of compensation for monitoring Jack Ruby's club. I mean, he was inside the press conference handing out like or dressed up as a reporter. He brought food for people and drinks. He was doing all these things. So now when we examine that, do you, th I mean, there's no way in his mind he thought that he could lie and get away with it. Maybe in the moment, but to the truth not to leak out eventually or people around him that are citizens of Dallas saying, hey, that's not true. We see him all the time unless people are scared because they know Dallas police is corrupt. Yeah, well, there, there, there were people who had information and uh, yeah, there were people who had information. They were afraid to come forward because they were afraid of the Dallas police. Can you imagine that? They were afraid of the Dallas police. There were some women who said they claimed they saw uh, Jack Ruby hand Lee Harvey Oswald a handgun when he left the building that day. And they were afraid their lawyer notified the FBI that they were afraid to come forward and give the information to the Dallas police because they were afraid of the Dallas police. Now, for what reason, I don't know. But maybe they had run-ins with the police before and they knew how they operated. I don't know. But... Uh, I'm not surprised that Henry Wade or anybody else would say, oh, no, they didn't. Nobody knew Jack Ruby, because if this ever gets out. What's it going to do to the future cases? Anytime the, the police bring a case to the court. I mean, uh, people are going to be they're not going to believe him. You know, how, how do you how does Jack Ruby get into a station and kill Oswald point blank? Right there. He's, I mean, he's right there. He steps right out in front of 75 officers. Why didn't he do it before is the question. If he, if he, if everyone knew he carried a gun on him and he's been there that whole weekend, why did he wait? Because he's, according to him, he was afraid he might hit a police officer. He shot one while everyone was holding them. Well, he, he, he shot Oswald. Yeah. He shot Oswald. And, uh, but he was afraid that he might hit a police officer by mistake. So that's the reason why he didn't fight. Somebody had said that, that he, uh, he had considered killing Oswald Friday night at that, uh, that midnight press conference when he was in the back of the room, making believe he was uh, press. And, uh, but he was afraid that he might hit one of the police officers by mistake, and he didn't want to take that chance. Now, if you believe that, that Jack Ruby was in the police headquarters that weekend, doesn't that tear up the Western Union belief? Uh, not really, not really, because uh, this is the argument of the the uh, low notice is that, well, Ruby could not have known when they were going to bring Oswald down. And it was just a quirk of fate that he happened to be there when they did. Uh, but no, not necessarily, because the police on their end could have been looking in the in the uh, basement for Ruby and not bring Oswald down until Ruby was in position. So the whole thing about the Western Union being a problem and uh, that Jack Ruby wouldn't know when they're bringing him down. That may be true. He didn't know when they were bringing him down, but they didn't have to bring him down until uh, after uh, after Ruby was in position. And there's evidence that that's exactly what happened, that there were police officers, senior officers, lieutenants and, uh, and such, who were keeping a watch on the basement. And uh, when Ruby was in position, they gave them the word upstairs. They called upstairs and said, oh, everything's all set. But everything wasn't all set. The car wasn't even in position. It was still backing down when when Oswald got shot. 
We're still backing down the ramp, if you remember uh, that video. So everything wasn't all set. The all set uh, was a code for Oz, for Ruby being in position. So that's the way I see it. But um, do you think when it comes to uh, Dallas police and connections with Jack Ruby, I mean, do you believe any of the stuff about Jack Ruby with the press credentials or why he was trying to talk about why? Like, what's the Jewish connection? Why is there always this random thing that pops up? He's saying he was part of the Israel Israeli press or something like that. And the Dallas police supported that saying, yeah, he was acting or was doing something weird or it's just it, to me, it's it, that's the issue with the police department is the most confusing. Like I can get you at the end with Oswald, but that whole time while he's in there, I'm always finding out more stuff. Like he saw a priest, he threw up in an elevator or something like that. Jack Ruby did. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, I, you've never heard that before. I never heard that. I never Apparently heard he got massively that. sick and he threw up. Um, uh, after he was caught with like glasses and a little press thing, he was handing out sandwiches. Um, he said he had got a phone call from his sister and I guess something must've happened or transpired, whether it was the news that he was going to have to do this act or something like that, but he got massively ill threw up, but he was there in the police headquarters. And this is what I've been able to surmise basically covering for the Jewish people at the way the official story says was that he thought that the Jewish people were going to be blamed for Oswald. So he was trying to his best to hand out sandwiches and get good favors and saying, hey, like this is brought to you by, you know, I'm Jack Ruby, Jack Rubenstein. And he was handing out sandwiches. Now, that's what I've been able to read in documentation. I don't know if that's true, but that's from witness accounts saying that he was very, very afraid that everyone was going to blame the Jews for this. And now that fits the ending when he gets psycho. And he starts talking about Jews burning in streets and everything like that. But at no time before this MK Ultra doctor visits him, was he crazy? He might have been a little bit like intrusive and kind of like a bit of a bipolar person. An oddball, was, yeah. Yeah, he was never really as psychotic as he was watching his brother in the street being legless, like they the Jack Ruby stuff that follows after in his transcripts of his court trial. Yeah, that's that's the after effects of LSD. That's what it is. And he, they kept pumping him with LSD. And uh, and, and that's and it wasn't until this do the CIA doctor said that he was insane that all of a sudden he started exhibiting signs of insanity. Uh, and this guy was part of that MK Ultra program, the mind control program with LSD. Yeah, I told you that. And you were like looking at me like I was. Uh, and then Tucker Carlson said it, thank God, a couple of weeks later. And I was yeah. like, damn. Yeah, and he said he said that the the CIA killed Kennedy. That's that's what he said in his program. And finally, somebody's got the balls to say it, you know. And uh, he says we we talked to somebody who saw the files, the remaining files, and it's their opinion that the CIA was involved. And I've I've, I've thought that for a while, uh, kind of hard to prove it because the CIA. Well, CIA is part of the, the government. The government's in charge of all the evidence. You know, you can get away with murder when you control the evidence. You can you can change things. You can do all kinds of stuff. I was surprised to hear Aaron Rodgers talk, talk about it recently. Oh, did he? Yeah, he knows a lot more than I thought he did. He was on Joe Rogan's podcast talking about Alan Dulles and all these people. I was like, well, he knows that name, but he started kind of going into it like there's this connection and there's this. He, he knows like surface level stuff. He doesn't know necessarily the specific details. But to me, I'm like, we're 60 years past now and it's going to be end up being it's going to be 61 before you know it. 
And uh, I don't know what's going on anymore, if they're still releasing files, if there's any new information or everything's just kind of like this is as far as we're getting. Uh, the uh, I think the only files left uh, to be released are the CIA files, and they're resisting that. And Trump was supposed all of the records were supposed to be released in 2017, and uh, uh, Trump was supposed to release them, and then he got sidetracked, and then Biden was going to release them, and he got sidetracked, and he said no, he's not going to release them now. So, will we ever see the end of it? Or will we ever see? I I'd, I'd be interested to see what's left. Because whatever's left is worth protecting, according to them, because they don't want it released. And uh, I think I think it'd be interesting to see if any of those files contain any connections between anybody in Dallas, like Ruth Payne, for instance. What was the CIA's connection to Ruth Payne? What was, was the CIA connected to Roy Truly, who turned the cops on to Oswald and hired Oswald and put Oswald in that building? Uh, you know. I'd be interested in seeing what the CIA's connections were with pe certain people in Dallas, if there was any of that information in there. But whatever is in there, they're still withholding it. What do you think would be the reason for withholding such documentation if it was if it was such a closed case scenario? Your guess is as good as mine. I mean, uh, but no president that has the balls to be able to they just keep passing it on. Well, it, it says that the. The um, I think the the JFK Act uh, Records Act says that it's up to the president to decide uh, if he doesn't want to have it released or not. My dog is trying to climb up in my lap right now. I noticed. So oh, she's a pain in the neck, and uh, um, so uh, it's up to Biden, and Biden doesn't want it. There she goes. And Biden doesn't. She doesn't want to. Uh, Biden doesn't want to release those files. So it'd be interesting to see what's in there, though, I think. What would you speculate? I, I would think original autopsy materials, maybe, that might be still locked away. I don't think they ever burned officially every single thing. I think they still got some materials, uh, probably from the House Select Committee on Assassinations, that couldn't have been released. Uh, we saw a lot of it get released just this past year. Um, with a drop of files, but I think a lot of conversations and recorded meetings and like, why did it, somebody break into the safe of the HSCA and flip through autopsy stuff with no gloves on? And they just called it, oh, the guy was just curious. I was like, did anybody ask how he got both passcodes to the safe? He had two separate passcodes. One that was from the people that were in charge of the House Select Committee and the other people that were in charge of the CIA. So how do you have to have an in with both those agencies to get both those passcodes? And, and uh, I think personally that I think personally that uh, you know I think personally that the uh, the uh, photographs and the X-rays and stuff on the autopsy some of them are fake and some of them are real, and I think there's a mix there because. There were two different types. The witnesses claimed there were two different types of photographs that they saw, one with the hole in the back of the head and one with that we see today with the the scalp and everything nicely without any problems. And uh, so I think there's a mixture. You know, it's kind of like that. Remember that Three Stooges uh, episode where he's got two he's got two stencils and he's supposed to put stencils on the doors and he goes, this one goes on this side, this one goes on this side. And then he turns around and he goes, this one goes on this side, this one goes on. He gets them backwards so that everybody's office is, it, is 
explore his stencils wrong. And I think that's what happened. They got, they got so many photographs. Um, I think it was John Stringer, was it? That told the uh, ARRB or the House Select Many Assassinations that uh, he made seven sets of autopsy photographs, seven sets. And he was ordered to do this by Admiral Berkeley, Caswell Shepard, and uh, who was the other one that was there? Forget who the third person was. There was another person there. And uh, they told him they wanted seven sets of autopsy photographs. Why would you need seven? But anyways, you know, unless you're going to fake some of them, maybe you're going to alter some of them or whatever. You needed something to practice on. I don't know. But uh, some of these photographs and autopsies and, and x-rays are fake and some are not. And I think they got mixed up. And that's what we got now. We got a kind of a mixture of what's real and what isn't real. And that's why they don't match. The autopsy photos and the autopsy x-rays don't even match. Imagine that. The photos and the x-rays don't are not even the same. The x-ray the showed the head, you know, uh, would be this side. The head was missing. This part of the skull was missing all the way down to the eye socket. And the photograph showed the president's head intact. So there's so much conflict here that would not be if this case was authentic. There wouldn't be any conflict. Everything would match. Everything would add up. It would, there wouldn't be any questions. There's no questions about Oswald's autopsy. There's no questions about whether or not Jack Ruby killed Oswald. There's nothing. Every time Oswald is the alleged killer, there's questions. It's all, it doesn't make sense. Have you noticed people change their narrative on Oswald being the lone assassin? Uh, no. Seems like media has reported alleged a lot more. Uh, really? Well, it should be, uh, because that's the way he should be remembered as. He was the alleged assassin. He was never convicted. Uh, some people will call him the assassin, but he, sh he should always be remembered as the alleged assassin, because he never got his day in court. Now, some of the idiots out there will argue with me uh, that he was historically guilty. I don't know what that means, historically guilty, but that's their term, okay? That Oswald was historically guilty. To that, I told him, I said, well, you're historically an idiot because you can't, you can't give us any kind of evidence. Well, how can a person have, have no cash but own so many fucking wallets? I've never in my life. Yeah. And when he was arrested, he had $13.87 in his pocket. I didn't even when, know he you, had that much. Yeah, $13.87 in his pocket. And uh, I forget now, uh, let's see, he had 90 cents, for a, 90 cents for a ticket. And then a couple, I think a he bought a couple of Cokes. So that kind of, yeah, I guess that figures it out. He yeah. didn't have half a ticket stub on him, but he did have half a box top. Yeah. But that's, that's in the official findings of what they had on him. So... If you do believe, which, like I said, for me trying to find evidence on this, I can only find it through talking with Cold War historians that kind of like, you know how you know that you pull a seat out for someone that like to be polite? Like we all know that you don't really need documentation to kind of say that. Between Cold War historians, they talk about a spy tactic, which is sitting in with your contact and having half a ticket stub or thing and putting up side that has been said with the Kennedy assassination. I can't find that specifically in a document as that's a cold war intelligence tactic. I can only tell you that historians all agree that that's a known thing, but then I have Oswald. I don't have a ticket stub found on his person, but what I do is I have a cardboard box top 
now half of a cardboard box top. Now, if that is what we're talking about, about the thing to sit next to your contact, I then found the statements from witnesses in the theater that said Oswald was sitting from seat to seat. So that confirms that. But like I said, that would just then again, there's not evidence to support that that's a Cold War intelligence tactic because none of these intelligence people are going to let that shit leak out. Like, like that's not something that's going to be commonly known that's going to they're going to publish in history books. That's how they spied on people. What, what if they lied and it wasn't a half a box top? It was a half a ticket. That could be true, too. I mean, a lot of manufacturing of evidence came at the Ruth Payne's house when they went back the second time. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know uh, where that Minox spy camera went, though. What what if what if when they searched Oswald they didn't find a bus ticket at all? Maybe they found that half a ticket from the uh, from the theater and just called it a bus ticket. Called it a bus ticket, and they made one up. I can believe it. Where do you why do you, like we have really good evidence to support that through documentation? They tried to get the person to change their thing to a from a what is it a, a change it to a light meter? Oh yeah, the the Minox camera yeah. that they have on spy camera. They changed it. They changed it to a light meter. And all of the backyard photographs they claimed that they found uh, with him with the rifle and the handgun and stuff. They had that all listed as miscellaneous photographs and maps. And maps. That's right. And maps. Yeah. Did we talk about that? I, think we I remember about you that mentioned that to me. Yeah. yeah. Miscellaneous. Yeah. So. It, it, you know, it, it, there was nothing important about it or anything. I mean, if it was me, I would be that. That would be number one on my list. You know, suspect with uh, alleged murder weapons, photos of, uh, the, you know, the rifle and the handgun. That would be number one on my list. But no, apparently uh, they found it was uh, as important as June's baby pictures, I guess. June Oswald's baby pictures because they threw it all in one pile. Do you think there's a lot more to Michael Payne than we probably have got answers for? I don't know. I don't know. I know that uh, between him and his father, they didn't believe Oswald did it. Where did you get? Wait, how do you? Where where would you get that information from? They they never they never believed that Oswald did it. Uh, Michael Payne was talking to his father, and uh, it's on my website. But uh, they never they never believed that Oswald uh, they did it because. Uh, the, the group that Oswald allegedly belonged to, that Free Cuba Committee, Free Play for Cuba Committee, was a peace organization. They were, their interest was uh, restoring uh, diplomatic and, and trade agreements with with Cuba. It, it was why would why would a guy who was in favor of peace with Cuba kill the president? Be that violent to kill? It just didn't add up to them, and uh, they believed that. This was a right-wing uh, killing. The right-wing nuts in Dallas killed the president, which is what I'm kind of leaning towards, that there were connections between the right-wing and uh, and the killing. That's what I believe. That's the reason why everybody was wanting Kennedy not to go to Dallas. Who do you think contacted Ruby about taking care of Oswald? Uh, that would be the mafia guy. What was his name? He got summoned to H.L. Uh, Hunt's house morning of, I believe. Mayhew? And no, no, the mafia guy in Dallas. Uh, what was his name? Uh, I forget now. <clears throat> I'd have to look it up. But uh, let me mafia see if I can find it. Mafia guy in Dallas? Yeah, it was, uh, oh, man. 
I'm still clueless on the Dallas Mafia. Yeah, I, I can't forget it. I can forget his name now. But he was the he was the he was a big guy too. He was the he was the big guy in uh, in Dallas mafia wise. Uh, let me see if I it's in the uh, I think it's in my framing in murder. Uh, I will say if you ever get interested in Howard Hughes, he owned the Texas theater that Oswald got shot at. Oh, is that right? Yeah, he also owned Spawn Ranch where Manson's family ended up living. Oh, geez. <laughs> It's, there's just so many coincidences. It's it's, it's just billionaire tycoon. I mean, he built most of Vegas, so got to give him credit for that. Mm, I'm trying to find it on here. I can't. Uh... And also donated money to Nixon's campaign when he was going against Kennedy. Huh. That's, a, that's a surprise, huh? One of the main theories that why the reason why the Watergate burglars broke in and were looking for things because that never has been fully established, was that it was because of that loan from Howard Hughes. All right. I think I got the, I think I got it here. Let's take a look and see. Uh, Campisi. Oh, Joseph Joe, Campisi. Joe Campisi. Yeah. He got, he got a call, uh, according to H.L. Uh, Hunt's security guy. I think it was Marathamil. No, no, Currington. John Currington, uh, he was an aide to H.L. Hunt. Currington says that Hunt sent him to go get Campisi. And so he went to Campisi's house at like four o'clock in the morning on the day that Oswald got killed. And uh, he said, said, tell Campisi to come to my house. So he went to H.L. Hunt's house and something happened there. I don't know exactly what, but uh, when the richest guy in the world calls you and you're the mafia guy, you go. And so uh, Campisi went there, and I think what happened was Campisi was the one who gave the contract to uh, Ruby to kill Oswald. And it was all set up with the Dallas cops. Dallas cops wouldn't bring Oswald down until uh, they knew Ruby was in position. You this We talked about this the first time you were on, but it was whokilledjfk.net, I think is the website. It was your buddy who runs that site. I don't know how long it's going to be up because I know he's no longer with us and he paid for a certain amount of time for that website to be up, but that has some really good resources on there. So shout out to that guy, whoever he was. Yeah, Tom Rossley. And his wife still got it. Uh, last time I talked to her, because they, they live in Connecticut and uh, they're not too far away. So I used to go over his house and he'd invite me over there to have dinner. And then we'd talk about it. I go and he showed me all his, he had a bunch of books and this guy had all kinds of stuff. He was a good friend of Harold Weisberg. Him, him and his wife were friends with Harold Weisberg and his wife. So Weisberg told, gave him some advice and he passed it on to me. And uh, what Weisberg told him and what he told me was stick with the evidence. When, when you get into the debates with these people, stick with the evidence. If you stick with the evidence, they, they can't answer you. They, all they can do is call your names because they, no, they have no answer to it. And um, so he and I got to be good friends. And uh, like I said, he invited me down there to uh, go for dinner a couple of times. We, we talked quite a bit about the case. And uh, uh, yeah, he's got a lot of good stuff on his, a lot of crazy looking stuff on his website. You know, he's got a lot of crazy stuff on there. He's got a lot of good stuff too. And uh, it's all stuff that he's, he's uh, accumulated over the years. And 
uh, when uh, the last time I went there, uh, I talked. I spoke to his wife, and this was after he passed away. And she wanted me to take over his website. He wanted me to sell me the website. And I don't know what she wanted for it. I never asked her, but I told her, I said, you know, I got my own website now. My website's up. It's looking pretty good. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'd rather just stick with mine. But if, if I was to take over that website, I would change it all. And I'd keep some part of it, what he has, I'd keep it separate. But then I'd, I'd put as the main, uh, as the main friend, all the different theories. You know, the mafia did it, the, the secrets did it, this one did it, that one did it, the Cubans did it, and then just fill it up with information, kind of like what uh, Jim Mars with his book, did with his book, Crossfire, where he went through all the different scenarios and all the different suspects, something like that. Uh, because then it would, it would ask the question, who killed JFK? But it would give the reader the ability to decide for himself who he thought it was. You know, that's the way I would have handled it. But anyways. Um, yeah, so his website uh, does have a lot of good stuff on it. Um, I have to ask just a couple, basically two more questions. But uh, when it comes to what people should remember about Oswald, or when they think about Oswald, what should they think about? Like, especially if they're going to look at the Kennedy assassination. Oswald was not perfect. Now, people, uh, every time I go and give people information, they call me, is Johnny Cochran or they and referring to me, referring to him as St. Oswald or some kind of, I'm not trying to make a saint out of the guy. The guy wasn't perfect. Um, but I believe that he was involved with the CIA. I believe that um, he came into the crosshairs of the conspirators in this case in the summer of 1963, in the summer and fall of 1963. Before that, nobody heard of any outside of the weapons nobody heard of oswald or a hidel or anything like that it wasn't until he got down to new orleans that all of a sudden he's on on radio he's going on tv um he's being arrested for uh, a street scuffle he's getting all of this exposure and isn't until he gets down to new orleans so i think that what happened was uh he he walked into carlos bringis clothing store and offered to train Cubans against Castro. And Bringier thought he was an FBI uh, informant. And he was right. He was. He was an FBI. I'm, I'm convinced he was an FBI. That's the guy he punched on the street, right? No, that's the guy he said to him, go ahead, if it makes you feel better, hit me. There was a guy in New Orleans that he met and he said something to, but I guess the guy must have come across an agent or someone that he thought was an agent before that talked about they're going to have someone infiltrate the group or something like that. And then it had him very paranoid. So when Oswald came around, it was just a fight on fight instance. Yeah, that could be. I don't know. Uh, that could be. I never heard that before. But um, I think this is when he came into the crosshairs of the, the conspirators during the during this time where he was trying to get into that training camp that was outside New Orleans at Lake Pontchartrain. That that training camp, I believe, was where they were training the snipers. And I think he was trying to infiltrate that. That was run by the DRE, the uh, student directorate, Cuban. And uh, they were one of the more violent groups that were opposed to President Kennedy's policies. I think this is when he came into their, into their uh, crosshairs. And this is when they ordered the rifle, this is when they ordered the handgun uh, because the 40-inch rifle uh, was not being sold back in March. 
1963. It was the 36 inch rifle. It wasn't sold the 40 inch rifle till later in the year. And I think this is when they ordered, actually ordered the rifle, 40 inch rifle. Um, and this is where they were starting to set him up. Now he went to uh, he went to Mexico because I think that again this is my opinion. Okay, I don't want to I don't want people to think that this is not I have documents on this. He went to Mexico because once the training camp was broken up and it was broken up by the FBI, that group moved to Mexico. They moved out of the country so they could train to kill the president without any interference from the FBI. So they went to Mexico, and I think that's why he went down to Mexico. He never went, according to now, according to the Lopez report, Eddie Lopez says Oswald never went into the Soviet uh, embassy or the Cuban consulate. That's what the Lopez report said, because the people, the witnesses that were there, that they said identified Oswald as being there, actually told Lopez when the House Select Committee sent Lopez down there, they told his investigators that that wasn't the guy that was killed in the basement of Dallas Police Headquarters was not the guy that came into the building. So Oswald didn't go there on the Lopez. So I think this is why they did that. They, and the CIA sent Ruth Payne to New Orleans to get Marina and the baby to bring her back to Dallas to make sure that Oswald, when he left Mexico, would go back to Dallas. Follow me? Now they got him back in Dallas. Because the day after the White House agrees to the women's uh, center. Um, I'm sorry, to go to Dallas, which was uh, September 24th. On the 25th, the following day, Ruth Payne goes to New Orleans and picks up Marina and the baby and brings them back to Dallas. So now they know that the Kennedys come into Dallas, right? Now they get Oswald back in Dallas. Follow, follow me? So now he's got to go back to Dallas because his family's there. Now, they get him, he comes back to Dallas, they get him into the Texas School Book Depository. So between the time that Oswald is hired in the Texas School Book Depository, and it's Roy Truly who hires two guys. A lot, a lot of people don't notice. They hired Oswald and another guy. And he picked Oswald to be in the Elm Street building. The other guy went down the street in the other warehouse. But Roy Truly was the one that picked Oswald to be at the Elm Street building. Okay. That's on the, uh, I think it's the 15th he started or the 16th that he started work. I think he went for the, uh, I think he went for the uh, interview on the 15th. He was hot, started the next day. So now he's in the building. Between Oct October 16th and November, I think it was November 14th when they finally decided that Kennedy would do the uh, trademark. I think that's when it was announced. Don Connolly's fighting like hell for that trademark. And the reason why is because the trademark, the motorcade route, depends on where Kennedy's going to get give the luncheon. Is it going to be at the women's center where Senator Yarborough's group wants it? Or is it going to be at the trademark where John Connolly's group wants it? So Connolly finally bitches and complains and stuff. And finally, in Washington, Kenny O'Donnell says, look, give him the trademark. Not knowing what's going on here. So... On the 14th, they decide on the trademark. A few days later, the motorcade route is published in the Dallas newspapers. It's all set up. Oswald's in the building, and the motorcade's coming right by the building where he's worked. Now, all you got to do is get the rifle in the building, the rifle that you claim he, he, he ordered, 
get that get that rifle in the building, and you're home free. And that could have been done at any time. They could have brought that rifle in on, over the weekend. Because Roy truly was the superintendent. He could have let anybody in that building at the time. He could have planted that rifle at any time. Right? Wipe it down so that there's no fingerprints on it. And put it in the building. So this is why I think that it's interesting to see what the CIA's got left on documents. Because I'd love to I'd love to know if there's any connection between any of these people that were in Dallas that moved Oswald around like a chess like a chess piece, he's being moved around different places until he gets where he's supposed to be. And they decide on the uh, on the luncheon site. It's interesting stuff. It's just, it's fun stuff to play with. I love, I love doing the searches and looking for the documents and stuff. It's really cool. Well, Gil, where can people find your links, man? You're giving me enough of your time. Uh, my website is www.gil.com dash jesus j-e-s-u-s dot com uh my website is called was lee harvey oswald really guilty and it goes through all of the the evidence and stuff like that i've got some uh i've got links to your to your uh, podcast on here i've got uh the recordings of oswald on the radio uh i've got different videos some documentaries that uh, uh i've been able to post up there and uh, some of my other stuff it's really uh, some of my personal writings and uh, some of the uh, examinations of the evidence that I've done, why I think it's phony. And um, I have also have some, uh, you can find me on uh, YouTube. Uh, I've got a channel, two channels on YouTube, JFK 63 Conspiracy. And uh, the other one is just my name, Gil Jesus. And uh, I'm on YouTube. I've got some videos on there. You can find me uh, posting once in a while on the education forum or, or other places, other forums out there. If you do a, a web search on Kill Jesus JFK, and you'll you'll find a lot of my stuff there, uh, regardless of the search engine. Well, Gil, I'm going to link all that in the description. It's been a pleasure chatting with you again, my friend. And thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank. Stay tuned for our next episode. <laughs>